This morning's reading is from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 3, beginning at the first verse. John the Baptist prepares the way. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, Tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Etruria, and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, Tetrarch of Abilene, during the priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of the Lord came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jenny. Is that all right? Can everybody hear? Joy? Thank you. <laughs> so here, in this account, we see how Luke sets John's ministry firmly in its his historical context. He gives us details of the political and religious leaders of the day, whose names I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce. <laughs> Unlike Jenny, she did a good job. <laughs> The power struggles and manoeuvrings of the worldly leaders are in sharp context, aren't they, to the message John preaches of repentance and forgiveness, of preparing the way for the one who will come after him, who will be greater than him. By the time Luke wrote this account, all those leaders were dead. But the embryonic church was starting to spread as more and more people came to understand the power of Jesus' death and resurrection and the salvation it offered. Many years ago, Princess Anne came to Ellesmere, where I work, and preparations began weeks before. Pavements were tidied, they were swept, potholes were filled, gardens were tidied, scruffy buildings were painted. The town had never looked better. And as she arrived, the police outriders cleared the road of traffic as the cavalcade swept into town. And it's the same throughout history. Josephus tells us that ahead of the Roman Emperor Vespasian's army, the advance party had to make the road even and straight. The rough surfaces were planed. They were smooth so progress would not be impeded or slowed. And I wonder as well if the hearers of the passage that Luke quotes from Isaiah would be reminded of the Jewish legend 
which told how a pillar of cloud and fire brought low mountains and filled valleys in as Israel marched toward the promised land. And that as the ark was carried, the roads in the wilderness were cleared before it of serpents and snakes and thorns. We like to have a warning, don't we, before dignitaries arrive, so that we can prepare. We like to be ready. I remember when I was first married, I used to scrub my house from top to bottom before my mother-in-law arrived. <laughs> Took weeks. Fortunately, she didn't come very often. <laughs> so how much more important is it for us to listen to John's message? Prepare the way. Get ready for your Messiah, the Saviour, is coming. But whereas we prepare our environment, our houses, our towns for the arrival of visitors, John's message is to prepare for the coming of our Messiah, Jesus, by the spiritual renewing of our hearts and minds and characters. As Romans 12, verse 2 tells us, don't be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And for those who accepted John's message, there was the ritual bath, the mikvah. I remember a few years ago visiting the first century excavations that are under the houses in the old city of Jerusalem and seeing there the ritual bathing pools from the first century from when this account was written, just a short distance from the temple. Ritual immersion was, and still is, part of the Jewish tradition. The ritual of entering and leaving the water acknowledges a new stage in life, and it's part of the narrative that saw Israel freed from slavery as they passed through the waters of the Dead Sea, which parted before them. Libby challenged us last week with a word that was, I think, inspired by the Holy Spirit, she said, Advent is a time of preparation. Let's use it as a time of prayer and fasting. And just as the physical landscape is prepared for an earthly ruler, let's allow the inner landscape of our hearts and minds to be prepared for our coming King. The Holy Spirit works at our invitation to transform us, to reach into those inner secret places and to breathe in the life-changing grace of God. And here in this passage, we're reminded of two particular aspects of transformation, of repentance and forgiveness. The Greek word metanoia, which we translate as repentance, is much richer in meaning than our single word portrays. It means that mighty change in mind, heart, and life wrought by the Spirit of God, a fundamental change in thinking and living. I've heard some describe it as turning through 180 degrees, and yes, it is that, but it's so much more. It's to turn our whole being toward God and his purposes for us. Jeremiah 2.13 speaks of forsaking the source of life, the living water of the Holy Spirit, and instead hewing out our own cisterns, which 
are broken and useless. And I know there are times when I'm tempted to hew out my own system, to let my old nature have free reign, to rely on coping mechanisms and strategies and ways of living and relating to get me through, instead of allowing the grace of God to flow through me and allow the Holy Spirit to influence my thoughts and behavior. But it's risky, isn't it? To choose repentance, to choose that mighty change in mind and heart and life which the Holy Spirit brings if we let him. The message version of Romans puts it in sharper focus. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you, take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work, your walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. That's a huge challenge, to place our lives as an offering before God, to be transformed by the working of the Holy Spirit. But we can be secure. We can know the absolute security of being hidden with Christ in God rather than experience the awful vulnerability of trying to make it on our own. And as we place our lives more fully into his hands, into God's hands, as we are prepared to be vulnerable before him, he will develop and bring out the best in us. He will mature us. He will build our characters. In this time of preparation, if we let him, we can trust this process to him. And so to John's second call, to forgiveness. God's forgiveness is full of the power to help us change. And again, the Greek word is much stronger than the single word we have in English. It means to be released, to be released from sin, to be released from captivity, to be set free, to be a prisoner set free. And just as we are set free by the death and resurrection of Jesus, we can be freed from those events and experiences in our lives which cling to us like dirty rags, where we felt harmed or rejected or slighted or any of the other ways which we experience hurt or injury. By forgiving those who are part of those experiences, we will be set free from the influence and the control they have over our lives. Set free from the ongoing ability they have to shape our thoughts and behaviors, our relationships, our personalities. And as Ephesians 3.16 says, then we will be shaped instead by the power of God's grace, the Holy Spirit at work in our innermost places. So Advent, a time of forgiveness, of repentance, of preparation. Using the passage from Isaiah, Luke reminds us of the importance of preparation. And the Bible frequently uses the metaphor of geography and place to speak to us about spiritual things. And here Luke uses the image of a highway drawn from Isaiah, a processional route for the king of kings, for an earthly king, we make earthly preparation, but for the king of kings, 
for the Lord of heaven and earth, we make spiritual preparation. And for each of us, the road building, the preparation will be different. Each of us will have different areas that need to be smoothed, filled up, made low, straightened by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And this time of Advent is a time that reminds us that we are waiting for our King. And as we wait the preparation work for his arrival, the shaping of the Holy Spirit is taking place within our hearts. For well over a year, I've been trying to declutter my home. I've taken stuff to the tip, I've had a skip, I've given clothes to the Sally Army, but I still have too much stuff. And as I've sorted it, I've built piles on the landing upstairs of things that I can't bear to give away or to part with. I probably won't ever use them or look at them again. They just get in the way. They provide something for people to trip over as they go to the bathroom. (laughs) And they remind me of the ongoing job of clearing away rubbish, and I need to get on with it. But there's something that's familiar and comforting about a lot of this stuff. And although it serves no useful purpose, I can't bring myself to throw it away. And as I thought through this word last week, and as I tripped over a pile of stuff, (laughs) and I thought about Advent being a time of preparation, I remembered that over the past year, I've cleared away a lot of stuff. But those piles reminded me that there's still stuff in my life that I'm clinging on to. And for me, I realized that, yes, over the years, God has graciously started to shape and transform me. But there are still piles of metaphorical stuff of attitudes, of ways of coping, of remnants of my old life without Christ that I cling on to when in reality they serve no useful purpose at all as I journey on in the grace and power of my new life with Christ. And it's asking God to reveal those areas, those attitudes to us, those piles of metaphorical stuff that clutter up our lives and that we no longer need that are part of our preparation. Where and how are we shaped? For John, it was the word of God heard in the desert place. Ephesians 6, 13 to 18 say, Be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get, every weapon God has issued, so that when it's all over bar the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, And salvation are more than words. Learn how to apply them. You'll need them throughout your life. God's word is an indispensable weapon. In the same way, prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. Pray hard and long. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Keep your eyes open. Keep each other's spirits up so that no one falls behind or drops out. John studied God's word, allowed it to sink deep within his heart and psyche, allowed what he read and studied to convict him, to lead him through the difficult places of change and challenge. And he lived in the desert. 
He lived a life separate from the world. Maybe that was easier for John in first century Israel. There weren't any mobile phones or Wi-Fi or cars or Sainsbury's. <laughs> but being separate from the world isn't just about where we live. It means that we choose not to participate in worldly things or habits. Instead, we decide to focus our lives on the things that matter to God and his kingdom. To live separate to the world is to be a light in the darkness, a light that shines for others to see. And that passage from Ephesians gives us a third aspect of how we're shaped, by relationship, by being part of the community of God. Proverbs 27:17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, shapes us into the people of God. And as we were reminded in the video earlier, Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. In all of this, Jesus is our Prince of Peace. Amen.